Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We also come to the scriptures this time of year, and uh, as it is our Christmas season, uh, the word Advent uh, that, that we use is simply that it means to come, and Christ coming into the world was his first Advent. We believe there's going to be another Advent where Christ is going to return uh, to this earth to set up his uh, wonderful and glorious kingdom. And as we come to this passages of Scripture, again, these are passages that we look at every year. And uh, we read every year. We know them well. And I ask you, as we did with the worship music today, to consider them afresh and uh, how they can impact our lives as we walk with him today. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, we just pause to just give you thanks for this time of worship that we've shared in, uh, to hear our choir sing, uh, to sing these uh, wonderful songs of worship, to hear the scripture reading from our Advent candle lighting. And Lord, uh, it's just good to be here today. We thank you. We love you. Uh, you've been so good to us. And as we come now for these next few moments and open your word and consider together, uh, might we hear your words this morning. And might they be fresh and new in our lives, as always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This week's uh, topic is fear. I hope you've been enjoying the um, Advent uh, readings and the booklet that uh, Pastor Gary uh, helped put together with uh, several contributors to, to the uh, various uh, daily uh, readings and meditations. Do we have some more out there still, Gary? Are there any more left? Okay, should be some out there, and if for some reason there aren't, you don't get one, let Gary know, and we'll make sure we get some more for you. And um, the topic that was chosen for this week is fear. And on one hand, it's one that we maybe don't associate routinely or regularly with Christmas, but as was mentioned, as we uh, come to the Christmas story, we'll see that it is a very real part of it. And if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, we will see where uh, this, this comes into play. And in Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, when the angel comes to the parents of uh, the coming uh, John the Baptist, we know him by, and as Zacharias goes into the temple to do his daily or his weekly uh, assignment that he has at this time of the year for his priestly duties, and it says in verse 11, that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And he goes on to uh, tell Zechariah of his son would be the one who would go before the Messiah and herald the coming of the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah. And, uh, the, and when Zechariah in verse 18 says, how can, I, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. How can I have a child? My wife is well along in years. In verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Of course, the bad news for Zechariah was now he was going to be silent for <laughs> a period of time because of his disbelief. I am the angel Gabriel. You know, when we, when we consider the Christmas story and we sort of have our, um, you know, our kind of picture and, you know, from all of the 
uh, literature and paintings and experiences and the importance of angels in this Christmas story. I'm not sure what your thoughts of an angel are, but I want to suggest to you that as we see in these three occurrences here, of they are not slightly startled. They are gripped with fear. This is Gabriel. The last time Gabriel showed up in the Bible was to Daniel in the 8th chapter of Daniel, and Gabriel showed up and spoke to Daniel, that, that great man of God, Daniel, just fell flat, face down on the ground, almost assuming, like Isaiah, he was dead because of the power and the majesty of these angels. These angels, this angel, when he appeared, he came with, with the glory and the power of God. This was Gabriel who stood in the presence of God, and he struck terrifying fear into the hearts of those who came into contact with him. And Zechariah was not just startled, he was gripped with fear. And we go on to read about the, uh, the account of the angel visiting Mary. And in, in, the, same, in the same chapter, in verse uh, 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel, same Gabriel that came to Daniel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge that is betrothed in Jewish tradition, a little bit more than we might consider engagement. It was a legal contract, but they were still not fully married yet. To a virgin to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And notice what it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She was not just startled, she was greatly troubled. Zacharias was gripped with fear. Gabriel comes to Mary and she is greatly troubled. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary, uh, of course, asks, how can this be? And he goes on to explain to her how the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will conceive and bear this child. And then to the shepherds. And we go to the next chapter in chapter 2. And we see again this same cycle repeated over again. And in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, it doesn't tell us who this angel is, but I'm, I just suggest it's a good possibility it was Gabriel. He seems to have had the main task here of doing this. Let's assume for a moment it was Gabriel. He appears to them. And notice what it says. They were not just startled. The NIV says they were terrified. They were terrified by the presence of this angel. The glory, notice the glory of the Lord shines around this angel. The angel comes in the, in the Shekinah glory, if it were, of the very presence of God. And it's terrifying, it's frightening, it's scary to be in the presence of an angel. But he says, dear shepherd friends, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
And now we have suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appearing with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone, into, and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. If one angel is terrifying... Can you imagine a company of heavenly hosts of these angels, um, you know, singing and praising God and the noise and the sound and the presence of God that they came from, that, that, that radiates from them? It was terrifying. And to Zacharias and to Mary and to the shepherds, these, these people who were just carrying on their normal everyday lives, it was Zechariah's turn to serve like he had done many times in the temple, lighting the incense and coming as a priest from that family and that line of the Levites to do, his, to do his duty. An older man, long given up on, on, on children. And, and he's just doing his normal daily thing. Mary, most Bible scholars believe, given the social norms of the day, that she would be what we consider a young teenage girl probably younger than you girls here that are juniors and seniors in high school, maybe your age. And, and here's this young girl who's, who's learning to do the work around the house like the women did in that culture, you know, of so much uh, of hard work. And yet she's an innocent young girl. She's going to be married soon to a man she may or may not know that well, given the social norms of the day. And she has the maybe the, the apprehensions of leaving the security of her home and venturing off as a wife into, a, into, into the world, as a, as a mother and a wife uh, in, into the Jewish world. She's just carrying on her normal, everyday life in her temporal setting. And then there's the shepherds, these men who are on the lower social order of things. Uh, this is not a highly desired occupation. Uh, these were men who spent their lives with the sheep, the lambs, the goats. Uh, it was a dirty job. It was a uh, hard job. It was a difficult job. And it was a job that did not get much respect. And it was a job, but yet these were guys, just like us, who were concerned about their families. Maybe some of them were dealing with illnesses. Uh, maybe they had questions about God and, and the Bible. Uh, maybe they were raising teenagers of their own and, and trying to, to work things out. Uh, maybe they were trying to make ends meet and wondering how they were going to have enough money for food for next week for their families while they're out taking care of the sheep, while they're protecting and guarding and caring in the dark and the night and the cold and the damp air. They're just in their everyday normal world. And all of a sudden, the eternal comes crashing into their world and explodes and scares them to death and terrifies them. Because you see, the angels represent eternity. These people are just like us. I got up this morning, we had coffee, I ground the beans, made the coffee, Teresa made the scones for our class peer group time, took the dog for a walk, brought the dog home, 
She fed the dog, you know, did some more work on my notes, got in our car. We just did our normal everyday Sunday morning routine. I have my routines throughout the week as you do. But when an angel shows up from heaven, all of a sudden eternity crashes into our temporal world. And it's terrifying. What do you say to an angel? What do you say to an angel that shows up in your world and radiates the presence of God? What do you say to an angel? Because you see, the, the angels in the Old Testament, in, these Jewish, in this Jewish context, the angels in the Old Testament did not always come with good news. Sometimes they came with bad news. Because you'll see them show up at times when God is going to judge, when God is going to purge, when God is going to purify because of the horribleness of sin. And in fact, these uh, people would understand that according to Old Testament scriptures, according to Old Testament scriptures like Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, Joel, that, that, that before, before the coming of this messianic age they were looking for, before the coming of this age when the Messiah would come and reign over all the earth, it was going to be preceded by what's called the tribulation. And this had already been talked about. This is not just from the book of Revelation. This is in the Old Testament. And this tribulation was going to be a terrible time of God, of God uh, uh, purging the sin and, and pouring out his judgment on sin in the world. And the angels were part of that. That's why Gabriel came to Daniel to tell him about these coming things. And so when these angels show up, it's also a certain fear are we on the verge of this, this wonderful Messianic kingdom, but it's going to be preceded by God's judgment, by the angels? And it, it caused me to think of an account in the Old Testament that I want to connect with this story today, and I want to connect with your life and with my life as well. And I couldn't get this, this story out of my head, so I, I wanted to share it with you today. And I'd like you to go back in your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter uh, 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. And this is an account, and I'm just going to have to give you a really brief thumbnail sketch of the background of this story. And I would encourage you to take a few minutes and read this uh, on your own. This story is told twice. It's told in 1 Samuel chapter 24. You can make a note of that. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And in First, I'm sorry, that would be Second Samuel chapter 24. Sorry about that. And in First Chronicles chapter 21, as we as the late Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, like the Gospels, cover the same events. And this is the story of David numbering the people of Israel or taking a census. And you have to take time to read this story. Just a quick thumbnail sketch. You'll notice in this passage that in chapter 21 it begins. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. But in Samuel, it clearly says God raised up against David and caused David to do this because he was angry with Israel, because of their rebellion, because of the, the, uh, the, the attempt to overthrow David that took place earlier, for their, their stiff-neckedness and their rebellious heart and idol worship. 
And so you put those two together and you have to say God was in charge of this. And you have to, it's very interesting, that's the whole study in itself. God used David for this and God allowed Satan to do this for his purpose because he's going to bring judgment on Israel. Now what's wrong with taking a census? What's wrong with numbering the people? It doesn't specifically tell us, but it's so obvious, it's so obvious that either, even Joab, David's ruthless, ruthless military commander, when David says this, it's so obvious to him, he says, David, don't do this. Don't do this, David. It's a mistake. Don't do this. And as you read through this, and you have to kind of read between the lines, it appears that, that the sin involved here that, that God holds David accountable for has to do with pride. That David, is, see, he, as you get the numbers back, you'll get the numbers of how many people are in the army of his tribe of Judah and how many people are in the army of the other tribes. And David is either attempting to find out how many men he can count on to fight the rest of Israel in, case of, in the light of another rebellion, or is he even thinking of taking retribution himself? It has something to do with this pride rather than looking to God and saying, God, this is in your hands. You will take care and you will provide. And so because of that, God says to David, uh, you, you, there, is a, there is a judgment coming. And David takes the numbers, they come back, and as soon as the numbers come back, his heart is stricken, it's broken, he knows he sinned. And God says to David, through the prophet Gad, incidentally, you know, if you read the life of David, it's not like Abraham and Moses. God doesn't talk directly to David. He talks to David through a prophet, through Samuel, through Nathan, and through Gad. And in this case, it's the prophet Gad who comes, who God speaks to and sends to David. And in verse 9, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out. So he goes to him and says, here's your punishment, David, for the nation of Israel. Here's three choices, A, B, and C. And uh, you have to pick one of them. The first one, verse 12, is three years of famine. Now, this isn't like Joseph where they got three years to get ready for it. It's like now, three years of no food, of famine. Three months of being swept away before your enemies. In other words, your enemies overtaking you. Your enemies coming in from the coast and from the north and from the east and south and overtaking your land and, and like in the book of Judges and making you their subjects. Or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Here's an angel that shows up not bringing good news. But this is angel of justice is coming to punish Israel. And David has to make that choice. He has to make that choice. And it's interesting that David chooses number three. And the reason he chooses number three is he is willing to bank on the graciousness of God. He would rather be in the hands of God than the hands of their enemies because he knows God. And he knows God is a gracious God. And so we come to this, this punishment. And we see what, what happens here. And so in verse 14, the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it 
and was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was restoring the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. And the angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. The place where the stone ground where you would throw the, the wheat and you would take it with a fork and throw it up in the air and let the wind blow the shaft away and blow the light stuff away and the heavy kernels would fall back to the ground. And the angel, you put this picture in your, in your head in Jerusalem, this angel is, is standing with his sword drawn over Jerusalem. Thousands of people have been, have been judged and killed by God. And he's standing over Arana. Uh, some of your translations use the name Ornan here, King James and New King James. But it's, it's just a different spelling of the same name, Arana, from Samuel. And the angel is standing there with his sword ready to strike Arana's home next. But he, he stays his hand. And he's got his, his hand in the air, this angel of God. What do you say to an angel? What do you say to an angel? What do you say to an angel with his sword drawn and ready to destroy your home and your family? What do you say to an angel? In reaction one, you'll see what it says here. Now Arana turned and he saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. Reaction number one to an angel, you run and hide. I mean, these guys looked and they saw what was going on around them and they saw the angel with his sword up and they heard the cries and the wailing and the darkness they felt and they turned, they looked and they just ran and they hid for all they were worth. What do you say to an angel? Step no, option number one is you run and hide from an angel. You know, when the angel came to Mary, the angel Gabriel, a young teenage girl, not even married yet, and when the angel came to her from the very presence of God, there's a good chance when I was Mary's age, I might have turned and run and find a place to hide from the angel who's come from the presence of God. This is the eternal. And I'm afraid maybe my first reaction as a teenager would have been to turn and run from that angel. The shepherds out in the field, when that angel Gabriel comes to them and stands there and it says they were terrified and God's glory shone around them and these guys were out there in the dark already and, and, and they could have turned and they could have run and hid from this angel. That would have been a very normal response. Option number one, reaction number one, turn and run. Reaction number two, and I, and I have this from the, the New King James translation because the King James and the New King James actually catch the Hebrew much better. You notice what it says, Arana turned and saw the angel and his, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Arana continued threshing wheat. See, in the Hebrew, it's at the very end of the sentence. And in the Jewish Publication Society Bible as well, they catch this, that it tells you all this, and that at the end, this idea, but Arana keeps threshing wheat. Arana, what are you thinking? There's the angel of God. People are dying. People are being destroyed. His judgment is coming. Obviously, the eternal is broken into your world. How can you continue to just... Just keep threshing wheat like nothing's going on. <laughs> he continued 
to thresh wheat. He just kept going. Was he trying to pretend that nothing really was happening? Was he just hoping it would just go away? He just keeps on doing what he's doing. What do you say to an angel? And I think of Mary. And the angel Gabriel came to her. Mary could have just stood there and just hoped this would go away. She could have just hoped this wasn't true. She could have just pretended like she never heard this, that she was going to become pregnant, and this was impossible, and nobody in the world is going to believe her. Nobody is going to believe her. And Mary could have just kept threshing wheat and just pretended like nothing's happening and just go on like it's going to go away. The eternal might crash into her world, but it's going to be gone soon, so we'll just keep on keeping on. And likewise, the shepherds could have just kept on shepherding. They could have just looked at that scene in the heavens and just turned around and ignored it and kept on shepherding. Third option, you can hide, you can pretend it's not happening and just keep on threshing wheat and trust it's going to go away and leave and you can go back to normal. Or reaction three, you look at verse 22 of what King David does. King David, who begs God, actually this is the heart of this man, verse seven, look at verse 17, David said to God, God, it was I who ordered the fighting men to be counted. I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These people are but sheep. What have they done, O Lord my God? Let your hand fall upon me. Look at David's willing to take the penalty. Take, fall on me and my family. But stop this plague. Don't let this plague remain in your people. And the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana. See, the angel's still standing there at the threshing floor of Arana. And Arana's still threshing. And, and the angel says, you tell David to get up there and build an altar and offer a sacrifice. Perhaps God will stay this plague. And God, you were right, David. Maybe God's heart will change and the graciousness of God will, will come forward in this battle. In verse 19, David went in obedience to the word God had spoken in the name of the Lord. While Arana was threshing wheat. Now look, here's a guy who ignores an angel. This, this is eternal. This can't be. But when the king of Israel shows up, the temporal, the human, that he knows for sure is real, everything stops. And Arana was threshing wheat. He turned in verse 20 and, and, and in verse 22. Uh, when David approached him, 21, he looked and he saw him. He left the threshing floor. Not, not for the angels, but for the, the human king. He'll leave the threshing floor. And he bows down in obedience. And he, and he bows down to him with his face to the ground, and, and David says, Arana, let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord and the plague on the people will be stopped. Sell it to me for the full price. Arana says to David, David, take it. We're not dealing with money here. This is not a, this is not a you know, just kind of a, yeah, I, I know you want to buy it, but how much? No, he's serious. Don't, David, you're the king. Take it. I'll give you the oxen. I'll give you the wood. I'll give you the threshing sledges. I'll give you the wheat. You can have everything. Take it. Do what you want. Look what David says. No. David has the spiritual sense in the midst of this plague and this crash of eternal into the temporal. He has the, he has the sense to say, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. 
And David, and David paid 600 shekels for that threshing floor of Arana. And he built an altar. And God stopped. And the angel put his sword away. And the angel went back to heaven. After the fire came down and burnt up his offering. In verse 27, the Lord spoke to the angel. He put his sword back into his sheath. And David saw that God had answered him. How do you respond, friends, when the eternal crashes into your world? When you're doing your everyday life and doing your normal things, and the eternal crashes in to your world, what did Mary do? Mary, like her forefather David, she responded to God. This was scary. This was frightening. This was uncertain. There are no easy answers. But Mary embraces it. And she accepts the miracle. And she begins to prepare for all the adversity that will come with this crash of the eternal into her temporal life. And likewise, the shepherds. The shepherds chose to drop everything and risk it and see what the angels were talking about and not miss the opportunity of eternity. You notice they were never told to go. The shepherds weren't told to go. The angels just announced it. And they said, you'll find the baby wrapped in cloth. But they never said, and now you go. But they knew an invitation when they saw one. And they went. They embraced the danger. They embraced the fear. Certainly, I would imagine from their perspective, I mean, we're looking at it from, we know the whole story, but I would imagine from their perspective, they're assuming if God took time to tell them, the shepherds, certainly he's told the Sanhedrin, certainly the high priest knows about it, certainly Herod knows about it, certainly the rabbis know about it, they're all going, let's go too. But that's not what they found when they got there. See, they embraced eternity, and they were rewarded to be the only visitors at that time to the manger to see the newborn king. What does this have to do with you and me for Advent season? What do you say to an angel? Now, I've never had an angel appear to me. Gabriel has never appeared to me. But what does Gabriel represent? He represents the eternal. He represents God. He represents the reality. The reality of eternity. The reality of spiritual life and of heaven. And I want to suggest to you that while maybe not an angel, God does break into our lives. You know, God does, you know, we have the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. We have the permanent Holy Spirit. But I look at my life, and there are times where God has crashed into my life in special ways that all of a sudden shake me and remind me that I'm temporal. I'm living here in this earth. But there is eternity it really does exist. It is real. 
We are going to be with God forever. Our kids are going to be with God forever. It is real. It's eternal. The birth of a child. When you see that little child, when you see the little, Melissa and Phil's little baby, and, you know, nine months ago, there was no baby. <laughs> and here is this baby. And you can deny all you want that there's no God. But eternity has crashed into our world to remind us that there is a God who creates life and who gives life. Friends, when we lose a loved one, and as pastor, I, I have this experience probably more than anybody because I'm called to be with you when your loved ones are near the end of this life or have gone. Probably all of you have had some taste of this. And, and as you're there, with that loved one who is gone and it's so stark, it's so real that they are there, but they are gone. Friends, that is eternity crashing into our world to remind us, to remind us of the eternal. When you hear that word cancer and all of a sudden your world changes and sometimes you get the news back, no, it's not. And sometimes you get the word back, here's the treatment. Our world changes. When you have a habit that you know you should stop and you want to stop, and God abruptly reminds you of the danger of it, and we share in the absolute joy of family and friends, as we did at Thanksgiving, and we are reminded of the eternal. And how do we respond? I'm suggesting to you that God chooses to break into your life and to my life with the eternal. I look back at my life, I can look back at this year, and I can find those times where I say, you know what? God was getting my attention. God was reminding me of eternity. My reaction, I can hide from God. And you know, we do that. We do that. We deny, and we're pretty good at that sometimes. When God tries to shake us to remind us, and, we, and we're pretty good sometimes at, at denying it, and just acting like we can just hide and run and hide and, and have nothing to do with it. There may be some of you here today that... that even when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you've heard the gospel, but you're just hiding from it. Friends, it's the reality. You are going to be in eternity with God or without, heaven or hell. That's the reality. And the gospel message is that Jesus Christ, born as a baby in Bethlehem, grew up, died on a cross, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross of Calvary, and died for my sin, and died for your sin, because he loves you so much. And he invites you to receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life. You can hide from it for now. But you will stand before God. You will stand before God. Reaction two. When God breaks into my life with the eternal, I can do pretty good at pretending it's not there and just keep on going and, and realize in a day or two I can go back to my regular life, my regular routine and, and just pretend 
that everything's going to be okay. I'm pretty good at that too sometimes. I'm pretty good sometimes at threshing wheat. And everything around you screams, stop. Don't you know? And just keep on threshing wheat. Our friends, like David, like the shepherds, like young Mary, we can embrace the breaking of the eternal into our temporal lives. It could be scary. It can be a little frightening. It might even be a little costly, like for David. It might be unsettling. It might be a lot more comfortable to just keep threshing wheat. But God has called us to be engaged with him. And God wants to remind us. And you know, it's good for us to be reminded and for, to let it settle in and to, to be reminded deeply and seriously about eternity. That's what God has for us. Fear not. We are both temporal and eternal. And we can allow the deep, unfathomable mystery of the incarnation to cause us to wonder and to embrace the very presence of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. I am both temporal and eternal. God has placed me in this body. He has placed me in this place. I'm here in Shoreline, Washington right now because God has placed me here. But he's also placed me in heaven. It says that right there. I'm, I'm both. And that's why I need to be reminded of the eternal. Colossians chapter 3 and verse and if you, this was close our service by looking at Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going to sing a couple of songs and, and be on our way. The Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts, listen, the eternal, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. We are temporal, but we are eternal. And God reminds us of that. In verse 12, Therefore, here's the temporal, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Forgive, verse, at the end of the verse, as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these things, put on love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is our temporal life that the eternal can impact. And finally, Ephesians chapter 5, friends, we are temporal and we are eternal. And therefore, we are called to be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live, live, live here and now a life of love with eternity because Christ has loved us. What do you say to an angel? What do you say to an angel? What do you say when God 
will crash into your life in this year to come, and he will. Eternity will crash into your life, and you will be reminded deeply of eternity. Fear not. I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in Bethlehem a Savior, Christ the Lord. Thank you for joining us. Next week, our choir is going to share their annual Christmas uh, celebration of music. I want you to come and join us and be here for that. Be here for Sunday school. When the angel put his sword away and went back to heaven, darkness passed and the weeping stopped. David said, the house of the Lord God is to be here. Also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Here at the threshing floor of Arana. And they built the temple there. And Jewish tradition has it, that was the same rock that Abraham offered Isaac on. And they built that temple on the threshing floor of Arana. The temple was destroyed. And King Herod built even a bigger temple on the threshing floor of Arana. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the baby Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written to the Lord, law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And they offered the sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, the offering for the poor people. And they brought Jesus to the threshing floor of Arana the temple of God, and dedicated him there where God's mercy, as David knew would take place, had saved Israel. And God's mercy will save you too if you will come in faith and receive Christ as your Savior. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time of worship, rejoicing, sharing in the joy of Christmas as the family of God, And we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, that your presence will radiate from our lives this week. And that those people in our neighborhood, at our work, in our schools, our relatives, wherever we go, uh, Lord, we, we, we ask you that the love of Jesus Christ will radiate from our hearts and they might see the joy of Christmas and allow us to share that good news. In Christ's name we gather today and all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen.